When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting once again from beautiful, sexy, steamy Studio City, California, back from the road. Last time we were in Camarillo talking music. This time we are back in our home studios, the Knapsack Files, here in Studio City. I'm Ken Knapsack. And on this show, we have a bit of a roundtable discussion about absolutely nothing. I've decided to bring two of my favorite people in uh, and have uh, multiple microphones in use for once. Usually every Knapsack episode, Knapsack Files episode, is a uh, treatment for a bad biopic on my friends. But this is actually just a free form discussion with Mr. Michael Beatrice and Lou Santini. Welcome, boys. Hey. Excellent. First of all, I have a point of order. The round table, uh, you can't see at home, but the round table is, in fact, square. And there's only three, so it's not oh, even a full circle. So We uh, we have a fallen gentleman tonight. Chip Dornell was going to be joining us, and he will again. We're going to do another episode with him. So let's pour one down on the ground for Chip. I think Chip did that on purpose so he gets his own show by himself with Ken, <laughs> and that way he doesn't have to share time with you and I. He's exactly that devious. Yeah. Um, by so, the way, the, uh, yeah. the knapsack files, have we, yeah. did we explore this when I was here last time, that, no. that like the, the promo material? For this should be you and like a 1970s suit and a 78 gold Camaro and that old old Rockford, Rockford Files <laughs> font. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which that was a great. That's theme. Sanford and Son. You that just theme did. holds. Did up. I do Sanford and Son? <laughs> 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 yeah. Apologize. I think that's good. I think you're you're already starting. Well, you work with commercial breaks so much. You're you're good with marketing yes. and advertisement. Uh, how is that going? You are working with Rebecca Michael and show commercial break. Fellow comedian. Yeah, tell us a little um, bit about that. The commercial break. It is on the stream TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a very um, innovative startup where they stream uh, shows live and the audience is live, you know, chatting mm-hmm. through the various chat room edifices, uh, Twitter, YouTube, probably not MySpace. No, um, no, no friends. And yeah. uh, we get the commercial stars on there. I think our biggest get was uh, Flo, the progressive girl. Stephanie Courtney, uh, yeah. And then uh, but everybody we've had has been recognizable. They come in, we air the commercials, we joke around with them, we have them do a commercial on the spot, and then they talk about everything else they're doing. Uh, it's a lot of fun and, and really cool. It's commercial break. Yeah. Um, you know, you find it on Facebook and Twitter, and then the stream.tv is uh, where, yep. where we are home. And what specific night is it broadcast? Did I miss that? Well, we, um, we, uh, it's uh, kind of up in the air. We've been doing them Saturday afternoons uh, live if you're sitting around on a Saturday afternoon um, on our on the website or on our YouTube channel. Oh, I am. Oh, well, who is Now, of course, Lou and I can't be on the show because we haven't booked a national yet, right? Exactly. Right, right. exactly. But Ken is available because he does not watch after-school sports, as he calls it, college, i.e. I- college football. Intramurals. This is true. Yeah. This is true. That's good. And when you're not doing that, of course, you're busy being married and uh, raising chickens, which is, yes. I think we discussed a little bit on the last show, right? We did. Yeah, how are the chickens? The chickens are fantastic. We live in a neighborhood that is uh, here in L.A. You would never know that it's right. here in L.A. It's a neighborhood zoned agricultural. Mm. Um, it's like a little last remaining city block that you can do that in. Uh, we have eight chickens. 
there's any number of uh, houses in the neighborhood where people have chickens. Ours are confined to our yard, but mm. other people um, l- let them roam cage-free throughout the uh, neighborhood. So literally, we ask why the chicken is crossing the road. It happens. Quite literally. We yeah, have, you, you use them for eggs. We right? do. You yeah. do eat the so eggs. I, that was my question. So this the, is an actual function. We, There's exactly. function to this. We, you know, uh, it's what they're going to do, regardless of, mm. of human involvement. They lay eggs. That's all right. they do. It's what they do. Uh, and so we have eight chickens, and we're getting uh, about four or five eggs a day. Um, we have a rooster to maintain order and uh, uh, thwart predators. Um, what are you doing with all this extra cash you have lying around <laughs> now that you have up to four and five eggs a day? <laughs> How have you invested that money that you normally would have spent on four eggs? <laughs> Whatever money we make from sold eggs goes to buying feed for the chicken. It's a vicious, vicious cycle. I, uh... um, but, you know, it's fun in the neighborhood. Horses come by in the, in the morning, um, and uh, uh, neighbor, there's like two donkeys down the street. I was going to ask you, what else are you allowed to have if you wanted to? Could you have a horse? We could. You could have. A, you could there, have pretty much anything. There, there are rules about like proximity, not just to the property line, but like structures with residents. Like if you mm-hmm. somebody like next door just built a guest house right against the fence, right. we'd probably have to move the chicken coop. And it's that's happening uh-huh. with a lot of the McMansions. Yeah, those going are up white in the people area. problems. I know. I know. <laughs> Damn it! I gotta move the chicken coop. <laughs> it's uh, that is. It's the... fun. Our it is our na- It's 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 Wild Kingdom. It's a little house on the prairie with Wi-Fi. Um, we just have an. It's you know it's, we we have chickens. We have rats. We have dogs. We have we have a pond with fish. We compost. We drive an electric car. We have an above ground pool. I don't know. What, yeah, we have an above ground pool. I really don't know what happened to me. <laughs> I, for those of you who don't know Mike Beatrice, when I first met him, he was a Jeep uh, Wrangler driving. <laughs> Top was down regardless of the weather conditions. Bandana wearing, uh, you know. And then he went to the Audi, and then yeah, now he's yeah. driving an electric car. I don't know I what just, is next uh, for you. I don't vehicle know. Vehicle wise, maybe a scooter, Lou. Yeah. <laughs> Allow me to. Sell the finer points on that. Um, I imagine at some point, do you ever like you wake up, you go out to the the, the hen, and like, I'm sorry, honey, there are no eggs today. We shall not eat breakfast. <laughs> Backup plans. You know, if I, if I if it was possible to make any less money, mm-hmm. the the lack of egg production would actually be an issue. Um, <laughs> Can you tell the difference now between store bought eggs and your eggs? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Really? Uh, the color, the the co- Well, first of all, I get to see the varied uh, types of eggs that each of the varied chickens produces and then just the the yellow by the way folks we're still on this topic yes we are (laughs) yeah um it's all because chip couldn't be here uh the yellow egg uh the yolk the yellow uh yolk is way more vibrant the taste is just you know it just tastes you know first of all there is flavor unlike a a store-bought egg it's just you know it's just neat we do we raise them for we're not raising them for subsistence but you know it's uh, uh it's I love just the, fun. I love that you use the word vibrant in describing your <laughs> egg. I, I know. What do you uh, but now, now the harsh question, will you ever eat one of the chickens? No, but we did have to uh, put one down. Um and uh, and we had to give one away. We had a huge rooster Twas that a was a malcontent. Uh, exactly. You put on and, your boots and grab. Right. Honey, get me a shotgun. And look, if if money really gets tight, I can just get another rooster and start taking some bets. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, yeah, but there you know, you, you wouldn't think it but um, it, you know, they're not. Of course, they're not dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. And you, you try not to keep them inside the house. But one has figured out she's the house chicken. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, but some of them have personalities to the points where they become pets. Like some of them are just chickens. But some are like, oh, there you go, being you again. And you know, it's it's, and they come when you call, and they're curious and. They get along with the dogs. I, I and, you know, <laughs> I gotta, just, I gotta crazy. think maybe a chicken might be almost a 
be, would be better than a watchdog because they don't bark constantly, but they probably make noise if someone comes near the property and they do. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, train them to attack. When, I'll tell you when we had that big rooster, he was menacing. And if you, you know, I, I don't know how to get in the mindset of the local casual criminal, but I'm going to yeah. guess they come across quite a few dogs. Sure, a lot of pit bulls. And ours yeah. are not big dogs. Uh, but if I'm looking to break into a house and there's like, you know, a dozen chickens fluttering around yeah. and there's a rooster, you know what? I'm moving to the next yeah, house. You're not getting out there, you know. <laughs> I don't to, need uh, the And in your, na- your neighborhood, the next house is probably a mad horse, an angry donkey. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, your house animal is, farm. is near my uh, day job's location and I drive up that street, Tampa, and you, you'll you see uh, guys riding, uh, walking uh, their horses yeah. up, the, up the sidewalk, all cowboyed out. By the way, I, I, I never wore a bandana. What? It was uh, it, uh, uh, maybe we played softball, but you were famous for your bandanas, your turtlenecks, and your peacoats. Bandanas. Your, uh, your your peacoat and your turtleneck. The peacoat and the turtleneck. Turtlenecks. I totally cop to. Um, you don't recall the bandana? You're I not. I remember you wearing the bandana. It well, is true during every softball game, but I remember you having it. You know, seeing it in your jeep and ready to go at the okay. ready. Should to you be, need to it? To be fair, there's a lot of that era that I don't remember because <laughs> <laughs> that's when I was single and driving the jeep that's and true. having fun. That's and, true. With man, it's, it's a little fuzzy. Drive around town yeah. single with a jeep and a top down. Mm. <laughs> But Lou's got a scooter. I have yes. a scooter now. You've transitioned into Scooterville. Yeah. Well, uh, I still have my car, but uh, yeah, well, I take yeah. it everywhere. I don't want to, where I don't have to worry about helmet hair or, you know, it just, it just saves me so much. Never mind the gas it saves. It just it makes me realize how slow traffic is because I'm not, I'm not the guy who, if there's two lanes of traffic, I just cut through everybody. But if I'm at a red light and I'm second in line, yeah, right, I'll wait. But it's great because if you're at a red light and there's like 13, 14 cars ahead of you, okay. in your car, you know, well, I'm going to hit the next red light again. Again, whereas I can just right up to the front and it jumps off the line and I'm gone. I mean, it saves me tons of time. How much? How much you've? You actually have the numbers on an Excel sheet of how much you've saved so far, right? I save $145 a month in gas. Wow. Would you like to buy some eggs? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have storage in my top case and the seat for many of them, including a chicken. Hey, you break them, you bought them. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, you know, when I, uh, I saw your uh, scooter earlier, and I was, it, it occurred to me, Los Angeles drivers like treat. Bicyclists like target practice. Yeah, right. How do you fare on the scooter? Have you have you experienced uh, other people's road rage? No, not at all. I, 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 I mean, look now, look. Scooter people aren't respected the way motorcyclists. Are. <laughs> like, well, I'll be I'll be driving my scooter, and I'll, another scooter will come my way. One little honk honk, we'll wave and nod. Hey, we're in a club. I, I tried that one for the motorcyclist. He just gave me a look like, get out of my face, you know. But but no, they really don't. I think it's because I mean I have like a 150 cc, so it does keep it. I had to go in 70 on the highway. Okay. Not that I'm doing that every day. I did it once. I could right. say I did it. But I think if you have like a 50cc, they don't have a lot of guts. They're real slow off the line, and they kind of get in the mm. way. But I've never had an issue because as long as you stay out of people's way, you're good. On the highway? You mean you went on the, yeah. or the freeway? On the that? 101. You know, I, I, was I, that the night you showed back up at the house kind of shaking like a yeah. ghost? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was like, that was dumb. I'm not doing okay. that again. I would never do that. Well, here's the thing because I, I jumped onto the highway. I was going to uh, meet somebody, and it was like 30 miles an hour. It's kind of slow traffic, and that's I mean everyday traffic on yeah. the side street. And then all of a sudden, the traffic opened up. I'm like, I remember going, no. If I was in my car, you'd be going, yay, traffic. I was like, oh, come on. I had nothing but open road, so I had to drop the hammer. And I was just like, I was white knuckling it, and cars were flying by me. I got off the exit, just going, never again, never again, never again. Well, his cape was flapping in the wind, too. Well, I'm already talking about upgrading it to the 350cc and selling that one at the end of the year. I'm already thinking about it. And he's trying to recruit me into his uh, scooter gang. Maybe you can join us. We could could do uh, Pascal. Scott Tommaso was trying 
going to uh, uh, recruit too. We yep. can just scoot around town, honk, yeah. honking around. You could get one with a sidecar, put your chicken in it. There you go. <laughs> or your wife. <laughs> <laughs> how? Uh, now, uh, you've been married for how long now, Mike? Oh goodness, um, two years. Two years now. That's yes. uh, I remember your uh, engagement party announcement uh, with Tom Connolly <laughs> like it was yesterday. Um, uh, Tom's still banned from your house, I'm yeah. assuming. You know, not, not a lot of people get heckled when they announce they're getting married. <laughs> you, yeah, you was and a surreal moment, man. <laughs> When's your anniversary? Uh, this is it's, it's too much information, but we actually have two wedding dates oh, because right. we did a backyard ceremony right. for yeah. friends and, for immediate family, and then we had the real ceremony. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So we we've decided to to. Um, to uh, to balance it out and make the December wedding date the anniversary, uh, so uh, December twenty second will. Uh, Does uh, the be, marriage uh, license say that date? Uh, no, the marriage license says the August date. Well, this is just getting confusing. Yeah, it, it, it sounds it very dramatic. dramatic. Something tells you, you just want two presents. Yeah, this, all right, that's all it is. <laughs> you squeeze two presents out of your wife. Yeah, plan concocted by your wife maybe. <laughs> Can I, we, we went to a uh, we went to like a a pumpkin festival out in Cal, Cal, uh, Calabasas this morning, and there was one of the, uh, the, the booths selling divorce rings. And I'm thinking, <laughs> finally, a ring that really is forever. Wow. <laughs> That's good. First of all, the fact that uh, uh, you went to a pumpkin festival yeah, in Calabasas shows that you're uh, married and Lou I was and I are. gloss uh, over that. <laughs> Even as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh, yeah, man. It's, fun, it's funny, too, because the grass is always greener. As a, Ken and I are single guys. Yeah. And there are those moments you're like, I wish I had someone to do something with. And then, I, <laughs> and then when I hear that that thing that you are doing something is the pumpkin festival, <laughs> I'm like, I'm all right just sitting here watching football. I'm okay. I had to run to Target today to pick up some items, and there was a couple like arguing in the bed and bath section of Target. I'm like, that? I don't know if I want to sign up for that. I no. don't know if I'm there yet, but uh, you know, it seems you wear it very well. You guys are a good fit. We have yeah. a good time. Yeah, I know you do. I was, at, I was at Ralph's once, and I overheard a guy. He was on his cell phone, and he wasn't – I mean he was a younger dude, yeah. and he was just – he actually was doing like – he his words were like, well, all they have are the two small sizes of the Doritos. Should I get the two small bags or the big one? Well, whatever you want, honey. And we're going like, if you can't pick out Doritos without checking in with your wife, I am never getting married. Kill me, man. And it's like, you better come home with whatever you want and not get any crap from your woman. And you have to look because she's going to lose her mind if you brought the wrong Doritos home. And he was genuinely afraid. I'm like, Kill yeah, me. like this, any decision could, could lead him to the couch. Ugh. I've become very domestic. It takes a lot to leave the house. Really? Yeah, just self-contained. I'm so honored uh, you showed up tonight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, you know, I'm not one of those guys that, that tells all my single friends, oh, you got to get married now. Yeah. That, yeah, always, yeah. that always sounded like misery loves company to right, me. Right. Like, oh, dude, I'm in prison. It's great. You got you to gotta get sentenced <laughs> to, to, to jail. No. Come on in. But Three hots in a cot. <laughs> but I, I was having this. I think I mentioned this when you and, Ken, when you and I talked last time. Yeah. That, uh, you know, when you go to a wedding and, and Lou – you have a you have a book about uh, yep. weddings and we of promote. Them. Let's shamelessly plug it. Yeah, what's yeah? Uh, remember the last time you couldn't remember. Yeah, I know. The title how to go from, how to go from wedding hell to wedding bells? Your wedding shouldn't require a res- uh, survival guide. Wow, I'm gonna write that down. And it just uh, sold again, a bunch more. Yeah, yeah. So, it, uh, but it's what not to do at your wedding reception because weddings become so overwhelming mm-hmm. for people, and they're so sold on the uh, your wedding has to be perfect, and here's your checklist of right. 300 quote must dos and stuff. I'm like, it's gonna come down to like five things, mm-hmm. you know, and two yeah. of, and two of those are the most important for your guests: music and food. Everything else is you know gravy. Right. So, right. Some, you know, somebody gave us fantastic advice for for the wedding. Uh, one of the weddings, uh, and that was to find five minutes to sit down just a little away from right. everybody yeah. and take it all in. Yeah. And we did that, and it was amazing. And then we did have fun because, among other things, we had a mashed potato bar. Make your own mashed potato 
Oh, with I'm ingredients. So, I'm so sad I missed that now. But what yeah, I was getting at was, you know, you go to a wedding and it's the old thing. You know, the father gives away the bride mm-hmm. uh, to the new man in her life. Right. And my experience uh, was, and, and I experienced being a best man as well and then having best men, is that if you're doing it right, your best friend gives you away to your new best friend. Hmm. Like I still have my the guys, my best friends, and we yeah. catch up and see each other. But there isn't that daily, yeah. you know, you, you go weeks and, and sometimes longer. Life happens. But uh, I, I know in my case now, I really do believe I'm married to my best friend, and we spend time together and do things the way you would with a best friend. Right. Like go to pumpkin festivals. Which, right. Exactly, uh, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm slightly jealous. Shoot me now. Oh, no. <laughs> We're, I'm, I'm going to cry a little bit, so uh, you guys go ahead. Yeah, I woke up today at noon and watched football went to Target to buy something to unclog my sink well, you alone. Know what? I, I will tell you this. After the yeah. Calabasas uh, pumpkin... Yeah. Uh, Pumpkin Palooza. Yeah. We stopped off at a at a sports bar. Yeah. And uh, uh, she had a lovely cocktail. We had a couple of burgers, and we watched the the the, the last quarter of the morning games. There you it go. It balances out. So absolutely no. And, and then tonight what, we'll watch Homeland. That that that's why I say your your marriage observing it from afar. You wear it so well, uh, and and it's done uh, wonders for you. Just uh, you know, exactly. in your growth and maturation. See, I've, as, I've as had as a that human balance. Being. I've had that balance before mm-hmm. dating for a while. The, the key is to make it last more than the first five months for me <laughs> something happens i've had i've had that type of relationship like wow this is like i, I enjoy right. spending time with her more than you know my friends i'm having just as much fun and there's no and then something happens mm-hmm. how do you how do you deal with mike you, you're the one with the most successful relationship right now uh when things do change in the relationship uh minor or major uh and you have to adjust to that person and grow with them which i always hear is the goal of marriage you're supposed to grow along with mm-hmm. someone uh i can't get past that uh clearly lou can yeah. uh what's is there a playbook how do you how do you do that well first i tell myself there's no way i can afford another wedding with somebody else <laughs> that clarifies and crystallizes a lot um I, man this is this is it's getting a, it's a deep this question a i get it no i get it but um, uh, you know and i know it's not uh, possible to answer it perfectly uh you know once someone once told me you know you you marry someone and then 10 years later it's a different person you have to mm-hmm. fall in love with that person all over again it's, it's, well part of it was you know that we you know uh i'm 42 uh yeah. she's not my age but you know she's a little younger but neither yeah. one of us was like getting married right out of the gate like college yeah. 20s yeah. they say so, the longer you wait the more likely yeah, it sticks i mean at yeah. this point there is growth there is change even in our couple of years there has yeah. been but really you know how how far is the pendulum going to shift yeah mm. um and so that we front loaded a lot of our problems it just happened that way and uh um, let's get this on the table and now you know stuff comes up but you uh when when you really just sit back and and uh think about it big picture like you're the long haul we're gonna have kids and and you know and that best friend aspect stuff comes up but it's just you know you you deal with it in the moment or um or you Depending on what it is, you can either deal with it in a moment and, and, and put it to bed or you're like, this is silly and I know I'm going to get over it. And, and then like it, an hour later, a day later, I can't believe that was even a thing. Right. Um, okay. But I get, if you're I get ready really, to break up, will you go out with me? 
Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be riding hump on the on the Vespa. Get your helmet now. My own helmet. I have an extra one. He's got an Italian flag helmet. I saw that. <laughs> Get you a Red Sox Patriot helmet or something like that. Uh, yeah, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I just, I'm always curious, man. I'm asking these big questions yeah. as I get older. Um, you Timing's know. everything. Yeah. yeah. Timing's everything. Because I've, I've come close because I'm like, oh, this one's the one. And then just not yeah. the, necessarily the one I'm going to marry, but like, this is the last girl I'm going to be dating. I start right. with that. Right. You yeah. know, and I'm like, nope, it's just timing is everything. You know, it's. Uh, well, you're, you're a good dater, too, though. I'll give you credit there. I do all right. I'm not just talking about man sized numbers, I'm just I, talking I, about. I yeah. Uh, you're like, hey, I'm going on a date. What are you doing? Well, at 1030, we're going to be going here. Right. Uh, two o'clock, we've got a pie eating contest. Yeah. We're going to, you know, just, and I'm like, uh, when I take fest. girls out, I'm like, you want to go to uh, Burbank for grilled cheese? <laughs> Come back, watch Game of Thrones reruns. <laughs> yeah, so I've got all 10 on the DVR. Yeah. Uh, so do, I always... with, if you do that, if you, you, you pair up a girl with a with a television show that's on Netflix or you've DVR, it's, it's almost like, I don't know if this girl's in for the long haul. Let me find something that was like, half a season and got canceled right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it, it has to be like a uh a watching like a hbo high mm-hmm. cable show where it's 10 in a season we can't do like a 22, <laughs> 22 we're not watching community or well that's 13 se- episodes but like uh yeah uh, psych which is has like 100 ep- yeah. no no we're not going to work our way through psych uh you know absolutely um um, I'm lost here. Sorry, I'm lost a little bit here. Uh, I guess I'm, the loneliness is hitting me. Now I have to watch Psych by myself. It just hit me. Um, uh, no, that you can watch. There's like chat rooms. You can like uh, all chat with people online and, and live tweet as you're watching. Even on like there's an app that gives you points for watching television and people you get what? points for chatting. It's like social media like, TV watching. Yeah, now? it's got like Vizzle or Vazzle or why, something. Why is TV so much work now? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Got to log in and check in, <laughs> rate things. Uh, like you know, we watch Homeland, and yeah. and I feel like I missed out on a lot of the story because apparently, the Showtime was doing like uh, there are, are books and there were online mysteries to solve, and yeah. it filled in the like I'm like yeah man, I just want to watch television. Yeah. You just want to sit down. It's supposed to be easy. Like the old days, like right. Cosby's Thursday at eight. Man, I just exactly. want to sit down and zone out and watch some uh, right. shooby dooby dooby. Um, uh, you mentioned age. Uh, we're all getting older, obviously. We all are. But uh, I'm approaching my 40s. You guys are just, just in them. Um, uh, how, how's, uh, how are you guys dealing with turning old? I'm going to ask honest question too. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not that worried about it. You know I, what's funny? I think I worried more about it when I turned 40 yeah. than afterwards. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe it's because uh, I think I'm more successful or more relaxed now. Or I've, mm-hmm. I've made a lot of changes in my life this past year, January, just like my mindset mm-hmm. and an effort to be happier. I'm trimming the fat, and you know, just, if I'm not happy in a relationship, I'm not going to stay there. Right. You know, uh, you not, still fight people on the public roadways. Yeah, I have but, no problem <laughs> with that because you know life is short and the little things kill. You got to <laughs> you got to handle the little things that'll blow off little pieces of steam or else you just explode side note lou and i were getting dinner tonight and uh, some guy almost cut me off on his bicycle and lou asked me to turn around <laughs> he's wearing skin tight paisley pants and he's on a bike he's on the island and he sees us coming and right when we get there he decides to go for it and can't yeah. has to swerve it's 700 feet from where we live and we're gonna die in a car accident I think that guy's dangerous because clearly he has nothing to lose <laughs> yeah I, I said i said if he's gone no one's gonna care like oh he died i mean the paisley pants were in guy yeah so you know 
But uh, I'm at, yeah, I'm asking about that because you, you wear it well. You wear your age. I, 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 no one knows your real age. No one knows my real it's age not or my name high. or anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you're you know seventy in a yes. forty year old body. But um, I just I just yeah, yeah. I've always taken care of myself. It's mm-hmm. like you know I never smoked. I, mean, I didn't start. I did my first beer till my twenty first birthday. I wasn't right. drunk till I was age thirty. And I no regrets. I mean you know I just I yeah. was a late bloomer with everything like that. I was never a big partier. Um, <clears throat> but. Um, I mean, the, yeah. just the main thing is just, you know, just uh, I'd like to stay active and yeah you go to the gym and stuff but I still play softball and stuff I think it's important that you still play yeah. as an adult uh, whether it's competitively or just doing things that aren't there's you know their gym muscles are different than regular other muscles you know right so I just when it comes to that and uh, I just uh, you know I listen to my body it's like if I want to eat like tonight I had you know barbecued ribs for, yeah. an, for an appetizer <laughs> yeah. and I know later on two days from now I'm just gonna have like you know I just need to get some salads and no drinks or nothing like that I just really uh, pay attention I mean, I ask because now I start to see these commercials, the Cialis and stuff like that. Yeah. Some of the actors are, I'm like, oh, it looks like yeah. I, I think I went to high school with that guy. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of scares me that I'm at the age where uh, maybe I should be taking whatever pills they're selling in that commercial. There. Well, the other thing, too, is you see those com- There's the other one for ageless male you see on yeah. all the time. And I know the actor on that because he and I worked on something together a long time ago. And he's like, are you over 40? Are you losing your sex drive? And none of Pepsi. I'm like, really? 40? You're starting falling <laughs> apart like that? I mean, if maybe 50, 55. But I guess, look, I go back to Ohio to perform, right? And I run into guys that I started stand-up with out there, yeah. they're anywhere from 5 to 10 years younger than me, and they mm. look 55 <laughs> years old. Yeah. And so the, it's it's the it's, it's the way they say it's it's not the, the year, it's the mileage or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like, how, you're, what kind of mileage have you put on your body at right. age 40? Are you overweight? Have you right. had a lot of distress? You know, I have friends in Ohio, they're on their fourth marriage, and they're 36 years old. Right. You know what and I mean? So that's got to add stress, and that's going to, you know, but, but there's something to be said about being married to someone that's a good fit, like in Mike's mm-hmm. case, or also something to be single, and it's like, okay, so we're not yeah. dragged down by someone bad, but if you're married to someone who just chips away at your soul, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to age you, man. It is. For the kids, and I get the kid factor, too, uh, yep. but, you know, we don't, uh, none, the three of us here don't have kids, but um, you're planning on it, though, Mike. Yeah, you're, we're you're, trying. You're going to be like Kaler, our good buddy who had his uh, first yeah. kid at 80, right? <laughs> right. And he's another, you know, everyone. Tony Randall. <laughs> uh, everybody, everybody at this table, uh, yeah. I think is ahead of the curve. Yeah. And a lot of our good friends are ahead of the curve as far as aging. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, I, I remember going to my 20 year reunion and it's like half of the people looked the same or better. Right. And half was like, oh my God. Hit the wall in happened? high school. Right. And it's in high school. Yeah. And I remember people like in college too. It's like there, there are some people we know or I know who have been 40 since they were 20. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like they were George Costanza out of the gate. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, um, <laughs> We've seen some actors or Lou and I talk about sports people. Like that guy was born old. Like, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, just it's, it's just it's, I think it's your mindset and you know where you live in, what kind of lifestyle you're leading. Are you, yeah. are you low stress? I mean, you know, look, yeah, it's fine. You live alone, but if you're still living alone and you're stressed out and have no one to sh- take share some of the load yeah. with, you can age. But if you're happy with where you're at and everything, I never look at that. I actually said I went on realage.com and I have the book. Real age, and uh, you you know you take your whatever your age is on your driver's license, then you take this test on you, know, you do it online or in the book. And I just took it uh, the other day, and I was thirty three. Nice, you know. I want to take that. And I when I, when I was thirty, I took it, and I was all the way down to age twenty. But they, they they take into every factor: your physical health, your family history, your stress, what you do for a living, are you married, kids, what kind of 
pet do you have that kind of stuff do you, do you have a motorcycle do you have a scooter a, a scooter you know all the they factored all these risks right and i remember i was 30 i took it and i was like all right it's all the way down to 20 then the question came up are your parents married my parents had just gotten divorced mm. have you moved recently i just moved cross country <laughs> which is really stressful it's like you know what kind of job do you have i didn't even have one because i had just moved here so instantly that went from 30 and i was 29 i was one year younger than my oh, biological man. age so now here i am i'll say it 46 and mm-hmm. i just took the test and i was 30 33. 33. 34. 34. Sorry. 34. 34 years old. 12-year uh, 12-year gap. Nice. And my grandfather, look, I mean, I, you, mm-hmm. we all come from, we're not close to the same age, but we come from that mm-hmm. uh, generation where our grandparents, you know, mm-hmm. they, they they had it way tougher than us. The World <laughs> War One, maybe World War Two, Korea, whatever. Different. We didn't know what we knew about health and nutrition and physical activity. My grandfather lived to be 89. Yeah. He served in World War One when he was 14. Oh, wow. Right? He was a coal miner for 40 years, and he, and he, sh- and he shoveled coal while on his stomach because he was lean, and he could get in the small crevices. So he shoveled on his stomach and then tossed it, and he got paid by the ton, not the hour. Oh. He skipped lunch so he could shovel an extra ton of coal all during that time. He never owned his own home. And he was 89. He had never been in the hospital, never right. had a broken bone, and he said other than when he had a cold, he had never had a headache. He had hardening of the arteries behind the eyes, and uh, he still never used a cane, and he lived to be 89. I'm like, had he had a desk job and <laughs> not been go. in World War I, right. would he still be alive at like 133 <laughs> years old going. or what? But I mean, And then the day he died at home in the mm-hmm. bed you know, in my, in my grandmother's arms, and that morning he made his breakfast of bacon cooked in lard with eggs. And, and I'm like – how does that happen? So, you can't, so I'm thinking, if I'm taking care of this, good care of myself. I'll see you suckers at <laughs> <laughs> the 2070. I mean, my my grandfather's still going at, at, at 89, and he uh, he and my grandmother uh, they're both 89. Old school Russians, you yep. know, as you guys know. Um, he he was captured by the Nazis in World War II. Had a was wow. forced to fight for them, so after the war, kicked out of Russia, um, wow. and lives in Anaheim. Built his own house by himself, and he's still going strong. They've had some setbacks, but uh, you know, I look at that. I, I look at that as kind of like a, a game plan for what I've got going. If I kind of maintain a certain <laughs> certain thing, yeah, man, I can survive a broken hip and uh, prostate cancer. You know, and uh, yeah, you, know, you kind of have to look at that. I guess I don't know. I don't know, but it's uh, yeah, but it also goes to show he goes to El Pollo Loco every day and eats <laughs> the biggest greasiest chicken he can find. <laughs> um, but he other and salt uh, the the beef stew is is salt and pork and, and and broth, um, but uh, you know I guess you but we're taking as much care as we can. But I guess you just really don't know. I, I'm sorry, El Pollo Loco is not health food. <laughs> no. No. You're talking to a guy who, if he wanted his own chicken, he would eat it himself. Well, that's true. And they, right? He's that's like true. losers going elsewhere for chicken meat. <laughs> you know my my uh, my parents didn't take wonderful care of themselves. They grew mm-hmm. up like in that Mad Men Rat Pack era. Right. But yeah, same thing. My you know grandparents. Um, the uh, mm-hmm. my grandfather lived to to one oh one. Wow! And there oh, was wow. nothing wrong with him. It's just that one day when he was one oh one, everything just stopped. Yeah, but up to that, I mean, he was up, he gardened, uh, mm-hmm. you know, until he died. And he wow. was out in the yard, and he was just this little like rod of iron, like five foot even guy. Right. Uh, and then and then some of the other people, uh, in, in, uh, you know, in our extended family or my grandparents, they went earlier. But it was usually something just out of the blue, like yeah. heart attack or 
Yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of people back then too died of natural causes more. Now it seems like everyone dies of. This is an uplifting show, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, but just uh, you know, <laughs> Let's go back to the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it never seems like everyone's dying of cancer. Or it's like, does anyone die of natural causes anymore? Just to, like my grandfather did at home alone, like your grandfather right. at gardening. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, man. Yeah, you have to wonder if the, the, what's going. You know, my past uh, fast food uh, joint today with arches, and uh, um, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, maybe I'll treat myself. To, well, no, what am I going to treat myself to? Bag full of chemicals, like I, right. I, yeah, I had a. So instead, we had some uh, wonderful uh, Chinese food tonight. That, can I? T- that's yeah. been bugging me for lately. It's been on my mind. Like, not yeah. even, not even the GMO conversation. Yeah. Not even like the the shop at Whole Foods or Sprouts or whatever. It's just there's so much food now, and the whole thing is that food tastes like something that it shouldn't taste like, mm-hmm. and the things that it's supposed to taste like are not involved in the process, <laughs> like. The, the chemical war machine right. that makes a Lay's potato chip not taste like potato, but tastes like a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. <laughs> that it's crazy. Or like now, everything's pumpkin spice. Right? Was pumpkin involved in the process? No, we no. had no pumpkin. We're sorry. It was a Dupont Chemicals Plant Thirty Two with that up. Like you know, it is a worldwide war machine of food and. It's like even if like, you know, we could for about the same money, you know, use actual vanilla bean in this product. No, no, we're going to need beaver glands <laughs> and we're going to process those, process those and it's going to taste a lot like vanilla. I don't understand. It's just that, uh, yeah, at some point, remember, I mean, it, it, in our childhood, it, there wasn't, it was chips were chips. I don't yeah. recall any of these flavors. No. Cinnamon toothpaste was about the uh, <laughs> fancy. <laughs> fancy. fancy. Yeah. You're rich. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, now everything is a, is a, is a mixture like, of this. I'm like you. I like McDonald's, but I yeah. know when I'm, it's like a, I want to say it's a treat, like, ooh, a treat, a bag of chemicals. <laughs> right. You know, I think about that now. Yeah. And maybe now you'll live to 101. Well, that's a thing. Probably not. When I, when I was in college, uh, you know, you'd live on fast food. And I was working three full-time jobs or two full-time jobs and a part-time job plus going to school full-time, right? Mm-hmm. And my senior year, you know, you'd take the easy classes your last semester because you were seeing the home stretch or whatever. I took a mm-hmm. nutrition class. So my father was in the health and fitness industry. So I already knew a lot like easy A, which I did get. But one of the assignments was to go get our cholesterol checked. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, what, 21 years old, graduating, getting, coming up on 22 when I got my check. I was at stroke level. Mm. At really? And I was real thin. This is when I weighed about 135 pounds soaking wet at five foot ten. And you know, you just oh. think cholesterol means you're a big fat guy. Yeah. And I got checked and I brought it in. The teacher's like, is this right? He goes, Yeah, this is stroke level. And I realized I went back and she goes, Let's take a look at what you've eaten. And I realized during that time I ate at McDonald's minimum one time a day, sometimes twice in the same day. Can you imagine mm. eating at McDonald's twice in the same day? Oh, now no. you would the, the, no. you know what you would feel. But I <laughs> ate breakfast at home, <laughs> and then grab a lunch there, and then a late night at McDonald's like that. And Mm-hmm. Again, wasn't a, didn't drink beer at all. Really, wasn't a big party or anything. But man, yeah. and I didn't just get the dollar value. I got two quarter pounders with cheese and two orders of fries and the shakes and, and the, all and of that. Soda, yeah. But I also metabolism's different, and I'm still lean now. But I mean, still mm-hmm. my metabolism was different then. And mm-hmm. uh, I just like, well, that is not from that day. I did not eat McDonald's for ten years, and I didn't eat fast food hardly at all. And my cholesterol dropped back to beyond healthy ever since. Well, you're one of the guys. I can, you'll you'll come uh, come back uh, after playing a game of softball, and you have a bag of McDonald's, and you have like the one ninety nine cent hamburger, yep. and you're like, I just want to taste. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, that's like, can I have uh, the Big Mac, quarter Mac? Yeah. Can we try your new uh, <laughs> hot dog wrapped in meat? Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, I just want to taste. Give me just one gram of Coke. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, that's what I do. I just, I just, and I don't drink any pop. 
I'm, I say pop. pop. I don't drink. Oh, yeah. I, I don't Regional. drink any. I don't drink any pop because I, I I had friends who I'm like, how is this guy fat? He doesn't really eat that bad. But I realized he would carry out a friend uh, mm-hmm. in college mm-hmm. carried around a big two liter thing of Diet Coke all the time. Went through two of those a day. Oh yeah, two of those a day. Yeah, I can imagine the bloating and the the feeling you get, but that adds up, man. And some people don't know. I got some guys that uh, work for me, young guys in early twenties uh, who are about pushing three hundred. Oh, that's right, okay. three hundred fifty. One's pushing four fifty, and um, they're trying. Well, I had chicken. You also had a sixty-four ounce regular Pepsi. That's like enough calories for me in one day, yeah. and, and no concept. Yeah. There's an ignorance there that's kind of scary. Like they just, well, it's just a soda. Yeah, like it's just liquid. It's what just could liquid. It do? Yeah, whatever, Mayor Bloomberg. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would have voted for that. Um, I switched to my water and lemon as much as I can. I'm now I'm uh, preaching. Preaching down on the people we, I was just months ago. What we uh, one of our uh, registry gifts was a soda stream. Uh, you so, mentioned that because I, I, like I do that. drink. I my, I'm predisposed to drink a ton of soda. Yeah, uh, and soda is again it's a vessel of chemicals. So yeah. now we just make our own soda at home. It's made with real sugar. There are flavors if you want them. But I you know I I drink those. I just wow. have big two liters of plain carbonated water. What a because I can't day. stand water. What a fun day at Beatrice's house. I come by <laughs> get some chicken eggs. It's like a Flanders house. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of ice cream you want? Yeah. Winter green. Unflavored for me. <laughs> Forged through the forest. We'll go play uh, some wiffle ball in the front yard. Get in, get in the open. Uh, no, but, but sometimes we pool. spice it up and we flavor it with ginger ale. <laughs> I do like the Italian soda because it, the stuff I buy at Ralph's it's all natural. I can yeah. do all the all natural ingredients: carbonated plus all natural juice. Done. Oh man! So hey, switching gears a little bit, you were two of the uh, funnier guys I know, um, and I want to talk a little bit about the art of being funny and how you approach the creative process. Uh, Lou being uh, mostly focused in stand-up comedy, but yep. you do other things as well. And Mike, uh, like me, kind of uh, sitting back from the stand-up comedy world. Right. So I wanted to talk to, talk to you guys about what uh, goes into your approach to being funny, the art of being funny. Uh, go. <laughs> Uh, Lou, you are, I always used to uh, call you the tactician of comedy. You're like the Tony Gwynn of stand-up comedy because after every set, you're home, um, you know, after you get back from the bar, of course, with the ladies, yeah. uh, taking them on dates to... Uh, <laughs> taking them on dates, yeah. courting them. Courting, courting the ladies. You come back, you have a, you have notes, you have charts and graphs, and you can tell uh, what you performed three years ago and what worked, right? Yeah. Fifteen years I've been doing it. I've never, I mean, I did four shows, just headlined four shows at Flappers and Claremont, right? Mm-hmm. Two on Friday, two on Saturday. Yeah. And and uh, after each show, that like the early show Friday, I went back there and made some quick notes on my set list with a pen. Yeah. I circled all the bits that worked best, maybe ones that I forgot to do, and then right. ones that I omitted on purpose. And I did that for all four shows, and I just made some quick notes about the crowd. You right. know, their demographic. Uh, you know, this you know average age was thirty five. Mostly the men liked it more than the women. I had some loud people in the front. They didn't seem into it. You know, and all four of those shows were different. Mm-hmm. Early show Friday uh, was my best show frankly uh, they were a smallish crowd but they were just really on board second so show friday typically in any comedy club it's late they worked all week they're mm-hmm. tired you know so i had to work a little bit harder they were more what we would say joke by joke yeah you know i like that one <laughs> nope don't like that one i like that one nope not not that one <laughs> and it's hard to get your rhythm going because you don't know what they want they're not really involved in the whole experience you know what mm-hmm. i mean and then early show saturday that was uh, a good sized crowd and they were uh typical just like all comedy clubs 
they're a little bit older because they have kids. They got to get a babysitter, so they want to go to the early show, get home earlier, mm-hmm. you know. And they were into it for different reasons, and they had different jokes that they liked. And then finally, the late show Saturday was the biggest, youngest crowd, but it seemed like all the uptight people were sitting up front. And everything mm-hmm. I just said, I made a note of because the next time I play that club, or frankly, any club that I think is similar to that club in terms of setting or whatever, I just refer to those notes. It saves me so much time mm-hmm. uh, compiling my set list. I really. I have my go-to jokes, my jokes that I know will work, but I do like to mix it up because I want to keep it interesting to myself. I like mm-hmm. I have some standard opening bits and some standard uh, middle bits, and I have some standing uh, standard closing bits. But as a headliner, you have to worry about that check drop, right? And uh, you don't want to be in the middle of your best stuff when that check drop comes. Uh, mm. Flappers and Burbank now has actually changed their policy; they drop the checks after the show's over. Oh really? They do. They do it. Wow! They're taking a stand. Show's over. What they do is, the headliner has said goodnight. The host comes out one more time for all your comedians and the flappers and Burbank. They do a raffle or whatever. And while they're doing the raffle, people can still handle their bills and stuff like that. But they Mm. also are checking to make sure that they win some prizes or whatever. And now the comedian never has to worry about that. Oh, that's great. But I digress. But uh, no, that's great. That is. uh, That speaks really well of them. Yeah, that's why Mm. they're they're doing. They've only been open for three years at that location, and they have uh, you know they're 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 open seven days a week. But in terms of like you said, I Mm. take a look at that. So then. I come home, like you said, like last mm-hmm. night, you know, I, I was kind of tired. I made some more notes, whatever. but this morning I looked at my, that set list yeah. and then I typed it out and I save yeah. it in a file and I have it under a file called set list and I name each file very specifically. Flappers, Comedy Club, Claremont, headlining set, you know, and the date because right. that way it's most current or whatever. And again, I know for a fact I'm playing that same club in uh, I think February ne- yeah. next year. You'll I'll take a look out. at those mm. notes and I'll go, all right, so that's the set list out of the four shows that seem to work the best. And between now and then, I'll written some other stuff and I'll find a way to do it. So. Did, did you, when you started stand up, did, did you have that plan in Absolutely. place? Absolutely. Absolutely. From just, day just one. just your nature. Then? That's my nature. I've always been yeah. very organized. Even as a kid, like my mom always said, she's like, I never had to tell you to clean your room, make your bed. You just, you actually had your list. I mean, we gave you chores to do. You wrote them out yourself and you, I posted <laughs> them on my wall and I'd like check them off. Because I was the kind of kid, though, I, I hated doing this stuff. <laughs> But I wanted to get outside and play. Sounds like a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) Lou Santini, the Dexter of comedy. I did. I just, I'm like, I'm like, I will do this. I will do everything they ask, but I want to get the hell out of here and play outside. You know, and outside kids is where you go where there's no computers and you throw a ball or perhaps run. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I've always been that way from day one because I knew I was in it for the long haul and I wanted to improve and I knew I would be adding more and more jokes and bits, I should say, to Mm -hmm. to my list of bits and uh and then that's the easier way to keep track of it because uh, i think an ounce of preparation saves you a lot of headache when when i came back into stand up for a brief time uh in 2009 I, I subscribed to your method as best i could i couldn't wasn't as thorough but i still have that book and i will say it, it worked and i went into shows more confident knowing what i was going to perform my my set list wasn't just something i scribbled on a post-it note mm-hmm. earlier in the day though it may be sometimes i actually had a post-it note with a set list to be specific but yep. um i went into the club knowing what i was going to do yeah. and knowing what I had my repertoire. Well, we both come from radio backgrounds, and I truly treat yes, we I, do. I, I, treat, I treat the preparation much like that. Let's check the traffic right now. Um, <laughs> no, but I treat the preparation like that because radio to me is a lot like TV hosting, and to a certain degree, stand-up comedy. When you prepared yeah. for your radio shift, you had to work within a program clock. Yeah, you knew there was things you had to get done. You had yeah. to allow for time for weather, traffic, sports, and things like that. 
you know, the mm-hmm. music itself, and then you have to take calls and be funny and banter with the other uh, host and stuff. Yeah. So my always th- the thing I always teach a lot of my students is control the things you can control. You can control how prepared you are, what you wear, your choreography, your preparation, and uh, your delivery and stuff like that. The one thing out of your control is the audience. Mm-hmm. So at least control as much of the stuff as you can so mm-hmm. when the th- you are thrown a curve, you're ready. Right. Yeah. When that happens, it's like a little voice go off in your adapt, adapt, go to yeah, plan C, absolutely. go to plan absolutely. C. Like, I mean, this is what one crowd, I mean, there's the one crowd that uh, what they had is, uh, you know, they, they seem to like the cleaner stuff for a little bit. And I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, they're on board. And I did one more clean joke and they didn't like it. So I'm like, all right, so they mm-hmm. want the dirty stuff. So, but I mean, I have enough stuff. I've been doing this long enough. I have about two and a half hours of material. I have stuff to pull from that I can switch gears and go, all right, clearly they just want swear words and slipping on a banana peel, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and <Okay>. shiny things. <laughs> Jiggling and whatever, Poopy and sex jokes, right? Sex and relationship jokes, and they love you know crowd work. And I've really known, for example, I know playing uh, flappers in Claremont, mm. crowd work goes a long way, way right. more than flappers in Burbank. Mm. Claremont seats a hundred, Fla- uh, Burbank seats two forty. Right. So by definition, if it's more intimate, you know, you can work with the crowd and no one feels neglected or, or, or you know, uh, mm-hmm. what's the word I'm looking for? Left out. Left out. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen Bob Saget. I mean, when I opened for him in Detroit, we had 2,500 people in there. And he's I love the guy. and He's a quick wit. But he was doing crowd work and he was only talking to the first two rows and people in the upper balcony. They, 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 they walked. Yeah. They walked because they felt neglected. They couldn't hear what he's doing. Now, Mike, uh, when you did comedy, were you that prepared? You know, actually, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I absolutely. Uh, you watch some game film. Yeah, I scripted. Uh, I wrote out. I typed out my sets, and so there was a script, and I tried to stick to it and, and perform those sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and if something happened in the crowd, or 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 there was stuff going on with the other comics, and and you know ad libs, those were always fun. But I used to I used to beat myself up when. Um, I would get rattled and go off topic and, oh, really? and fill with nonsense and yep. never get to the stuff that I had taken the time to write out. Hmm. Um, I, so, I was, I'm sorry. No, I was so I was loose as as maybe I knew going in, but that was 2009 and in the year 03 to to 07, the height of my stand up, the height of my stand up career. Uh, yeah, I was a little too underprepared. I always thought so. Then I tried to fill the gaps too, mm-hmm. and then once I got off, uh, I the confidence factor hit in. I was like, oh crap, I'm not doing what I came right. to do. Uh, is that what you found? You just... Yeah, I it, I discovered I was much funnier on paper. Yeah, right. um, yeah, I enjoyed doing certain s- people are. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I I like getting on stage. It's fun, and uh, and if I do it, if I were to do it uh, mm-hmm. today or tomorrow, it would just be getting up and and just for the experience. But I, to actually do what Lou does professionally, night in and night out, mm-hmm. I just I don't have that right now. I don't have that yeah. that wherewithal or commitment, and, and maybe not even the ability to do that. So I, I made the the conscious choice to switch to focusing on writing. Right, which you do uh, uh, almost uh, biweekly with the Schmoes No uh, right. Mike Mike Beatrice News Scoop, which is one of the funnier segments out there. I uh, don't lose a Thank fan. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you approach that? How do you look to how how do you approach your writing funny? You know, I, I um, for somebody that is funny, I think there there's the inherent ability. Yeah, uh, like you know, like Lou. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope I have some inherent ability, a, like a like a perspective and a way to find the joke. Uh, but there's a lot of people that have that. Uh, and then it becomes the um, the the discipline, and, and where my discipline came in was writing every day. Right. Um, people joke or or look down on on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot of followers, but I write jokes or comments uh, every day. Um, 
not just you know some I, I do personally or or, or or separate from that, but I'm on Facebook and Twitter every day because it's really hard to be funny in 140 characters, right? And you really got to find the joke and arrange words, and you know it, it becomes quicker and you think about it less, right? But I, uh, you know, writing on Twitter and then doing that, staying topical. What's the trend? This joke's funny now, but it won't be tomorrow. Um, when won't I be in an hour, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. When uh, when I do get to send in. When I do get to apply for things or when I do have to put together uh, uh, a piece for the schmoes, mm-hmm. I'm not reinventing the wheel because I have it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. oh, you know, last week I did a ton of political stuff. I, got, I, can, I can put 10 jokes on a piece of paper and submit it to this political guy or stuff about a movie or whatever. Right. Um, so it's just been writing every day. It's like it's such a tired comparison uh, for everything, but it is like going to the gym. Yeah. You know, it's awkward and, and, you know, clunky at first, but then you get in a routine and then you're just in the zone and, and you keep doing it and it's maintaining and you get better and better and better. Yeah, writing so, has a rhythm to it and, right. and, and, and a daily and then learning to edit and rewrite. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I, I agree with you on Twitter when you're having to uh, delete a few characters because it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, and like, and then, oh my God, it's funnier. Yeah. Because I took out that word. It, and it, I think it's if I were to go on stage, you know, you still want to get to the jokes quick. But right. I think it's easier to take like a like a, a one sentence joke and pat it mm-hmm. um, and make it conversational than it is to take a conversational joke and make it one sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's were, been my experience. You were talking about how hard it is to be funny <clears throat> in 140 uh, characters. Even putting up a post on Facebook where you have unlimited characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stroke all of our egos here because all three of us come from a writing background. Yeah, I it, we are all very aware of how important what the difference is between a comma and a semicolon when you're writing a mm-hmm. when you're writing a comment that's meant to be funny on right. Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, how much uh, a dash or a or a or a bold face or a, or a capitalized or something like that. And yeah. and you know and it, 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 what's funny is I read both of your posts and I know people read mine and go yeah. I could and I'll get comments I could totally picture you saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then yeah. I know we've written it the right way where i'm writing it in my stand-up comedy voice voice. my speaking voice right i read my beatrice's uh, schmoes uh no column or whatever i'm like i can picture mike Mike, saying like that and even if and i can honestly say this even if i don't know mike he writes it in such a way if you read this and you're in iowa you've never met mike beatrice Mm -hmm. you know how to read that with the proper inflection timing and (laughs) emphasis on the right word and same same with you with 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 your post i mean we come from a writing background in our careers, day to day life, and we know that, you know how a certain word in the right place right. can make or break the difference between a, a joke that doesn't work and one that does, and one that works well, and one that works great, one that kills. Right. Yeah, you know, literally finding, finding your the voice. perfect word and putting it in the exact right place. Finding your voice. Yeah. Um, I'm nodding silently for people yeah. listening <laughs> on the podcast, and it's timed perfectly. <laughs> That's a good nod. That's a good and, nod. And, uh, and and people will wonder, you know, how do the the commas and words and semicolons on paper translate to actually telling a joke on stage? Huge for me. Inflection. Here, right. cadence, I mean, inflection. You said you write out you you when you did stand up, you would write out all your jokes and bring them with you. Right. You would written out word for word at, 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 with you. In, in I mean, a lot never, of cases, you, yeah. you never read them out. You never had your paper on stage and say they were in your Correct. pocket or whatever, right? Although many nights I should have. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing. That's I tell my students. I tell them to write every uh and um yep. and stuff as long as it's planned. As long as right. it's right. planned, it's not just you know uh, like you can't have a train of thought. But if you have, I mean, Gary Shandling, I think is just the the best at. 
what I would just call the the sip take, where you kind of yep. made mm-hmm. that little mutter under your breath. You know, like, yeah. like he, he was he was just the best. I find my, I have certain jokes I just did last night. And I'm like that's I so borrowed that delivery style from Gary Shandling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do that. I teach uh, I myself write every single word, and then I the method I do is I write it down. And I get up out of my chair and I perform it in my mm-hmm. bedroom or in my living room in front of a mic stand, and I choreograph mm-hmm. it. I don't just read it back off the computer screen and go. No, I get up and do it. And then if what I performed does not match what I wrote, I go back and rewrite the thing so it matches what I did. I don't right. I don't try to deliver what I wrote down. More than likely, what I'm performing is what's going to wind up happening out on stage. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are those exceptions where it's like, why isn't this working? Like That word has to be at the end. Mm-hmm. I have to uh, take oh, yeah. a pause here or whatever. But uh, every, every, every little... Uh, semicolon and dash mm-hmm. and stuff absolutely has to be in there because and a lot of it is organic in the in the moment um, mm-hmm. b- uh, as it should be but you know you don't want to you don't want to bank on that yeah. the preparation right yeah. preparation and then yeah. and then you're in a much better place to well, deal with well I've, I've come from a bit of an improv background from my time at the groundlings and I I, I used to discover uh, I, I discovered that sometimes I'd, I'd hit a stand-up k- stage and be like I'm just gonna wing it tonight because I have a premise some of the worst most uncomfortable moments of my I life never wang it one Winged it. I'd never have done that. It's a different animal. Improv is is improv. And you're on stage and the the audience is different. They're comforting. They're like, oh, that wasn't that funny, but you made it up. (laughs) Stand up. They're like, we paid for this? I just paid 16 bucks for two warm beers at the comedy store? Yeah. They always said, you know, Mm -hmm. people go up there and use notes. I'm like, this this isn't a workout room. And even then, I've treated every show. Every when I was doing open mics, I I always use the set. I said, I have a show today. I've never brought notes on stage never uh, yeah never, I, I, never i've never said i have a, having to go go do a set that mm-hmm. makes it seem like yeah i'm just gonna go do this thing for a second and come back no it's right. i have a show it's four minutes yeah. it's 45 minutes it's an hour I'm, i have a show tonight from you know from having been in the audience at a lot of comedy shows and this occurred to me when you mentioned saget doing crowd work and people in the back leaving and, and it's bob saget yeah um you know when if you paid you want to get your money's worth uh but the the people that didn't pay a free show you know, like like you do, you still treat it like a professional business. Because mm. when I've been in the audience, just purely watching a show, I know when I'm in the hands of a professional on stage, right. yeah. and they will they'll get the benefit of a laugh just because oh that maybe that's supposed to be funny or I'm on board <laughs> and I've suddenly decided to laugh. Right, yeah. I want to be there. I want to be a part of your show. Yeah. But if I you know if I sense you don't maybe like know what you're doing and, and maybe just feels don't like care. a job. Yeah. Or feels yeah. like a job. Well, how many times we've all been there when a, a, a comedian who has a TV show or something walks in or a couple movies and, and they get to walk up on stage, find whatever, take a spot and they get up on stage and they do the, nah, what am I going to talk about? What are they going to talk about? Hey, oh look. God, I want to charge the stage. Yeah. Just, you know, that whole thing about mm-hmm. I'm famous. You have to like me just because I'm famous. Yeah. This is why Ray Romano has a great career because yeah. uh, a good friend of ours, TK opened for him once and Ray Romano's show had already been on for like three years. Maybe yeah. not syndicated yet, but three years. And uh, TK opened for him, and uh, Ray told him, he's like, look, the first 15 minutes, they're laughing just because I'm the guy from that show. Mm-hmm. He says, the rest of that I have to earn. Right. And, and that's, yeah. you know, that, that he kept that mindset when he could yeah. have just been, you know, whatever. You know, and that's why he that's had such a, why his show he, lasted 10 years, and yeah. he gets a jillion dollars. He probably, well, that first 15 <laughs> minutes. <Deborah. laughs> I was going to ask you guys, before we got to the set, like, who, like, who is your favorite uh, writer, not a humorist writer because for me it's Dave Barry because when I read Dave Barry I feel like I am reading the exact correct inflection punctuation Mm. emphasis timing and everything and 
I just, you Are you know. just, you're just talking about humorous? Humorous. Only oh. humor, wow. humorous. I, I do like Dave Barry, but I didn't get into him as much as I know you. Oh, I have, I've read everything um. of his books 10 times each. I just, I love them. I, I, uh, this, this will sound pompous, but I, the, I, my favorite humorous is Mark Twain. Okay. Because I, I just saw it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Michael, Michael, Michael. Michael. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He, just because just because he uh he could, he could find michael beatrice be funny <laughs> i love me some me <laughs> he uh just Twain, huh? he was you know the world he was writing universally and he he just he found irony everywhere even yeah. where you know you you wouldn't think it would be yeah um i gotta say from from comics uh the uh, comedians i enjoy their writing i really enjoyed greg giraldo yeah, like that cat too. made me laugh, and I know, like, I got into him on the roast, and then I started watching him do stand up, and like, it, you know, he performed it, he performed it, he performed, but but there was a ton of writing behind it. Oh, yeah, it made me laugh. Yeah, tough, tough one for answer for me. I don't, I don't read a lot of humorous, I guess, uh, but you know, I grew up uh, reading Douglas Adams, and that's mm-hmm. what got me in his the way of uh, that's the first laughter. I experienced from reading something, um, and you know I'm a big Nick Hornby fan, but I wouldn't call him funny. But uh, you know I got to say, and one of our favorites, Steve Martin. Oh yes, um, for me, pure drivel. The, some of the articles in that he wrote from the New Yorker, I, I'll still read and just laugh out loud. Um, two of my, my my top two favorite books are Born Standing Up and uh, yeah. Pleasure of My Company, which yeah. I think should have been the when they made it into a movie rather than Shop Girl, which I liked and I, I, I love the book. I love Shop Girl, but yeah, well, Pleasure of My Company's. I don't know. I don't know if it's coming anymore. They tried. They, I know they were trying. Were they? They were trying. Love that. Um, you know, and that wasn't just be the, uh, writing articles and wasn't trying yes, to be funny. Yeah, yeah. But, but he, he is just, but, I, that guy. The the poignancy in which he there's yeah. a lot of beauty and then how well, he describes stuff. If you read, read pure drivel. Excuse me, which is a collection of uh, his New Yorker articles. Some of them are just strange, absurdist comedy. Yep. One about a, a medication, you know, the side effects of medication. <laughs> One's an apology from a political campaign uh, uh, guy running for office. And other ones are art piece types, but they're really thoughtfully funny. And there's yeah. just some that are just laugh out loud, kind of stupid funny. And yeah. I just love that style. And I can read that book and, and laugh uh, all the way through it. Well, Mike, you're very well read. I mean, I know Mark Twain's your favorite humorist. But... Just because he has a turtleneck. Because <laughs> <laughs> his his living room looks like uh, you know uh, Hemingway's <laughs> hangout. Looks <laughs> like where Hemingway shot him. Yeah, just like just for the harpoon above the fireplace. <laughs> but nonetheless, I think because I mean I've read I'm not a, I'm not a big novel reader. I've yeah. re- I've read some of the big ones or whatever. But uh, whether they're trying to be romantic or just weird, like you know Hunter mm-hmm. S. Thompson, and then and, and then uh, I read uh, Kurt Vonnegut some of that mm-hmm. stuff. I think writing comedy and horror movies, uh, horror books and stuff. Writing writing comedy has to yeah. be to me harder because like i said mm-hmm. i go see, you, let's say you're a you're not in the entertainment business at all and you go see a stand-up comedian you can decide if that's funny or at least at the least admire like wow look at that skill but if you're reading it if you don't have a real developed sense of humor and you're not writing in a way that's universal for the average reader to find it funny you're screwed mm-hmm. you know it's got to be that's why yeah. i like dave barry i feel like he doesn't dumb anything down for anybody but yeah. also he's clever and his you know he keeps things simple and you i can see a system and a, and a method to his uh yeah. his madness finding your voice yeah, you know you know who i find very funny too, and I know you do. Is Bill Simmons? I think yeah. as a modern sports writer, he like still him. he still plugs into that uh, zeitgeist, that pop culture zeitgeist, Could, so well for our generation. Uh, I, I love his stuff. Yeah, and he was um, he was probably the first successful guy to he wrote his own column he didn't yeah. go to the papers he's like the poster child for what could have happened uh if you were right there at the beginning of the the internet boom yeah um and he, he's become a huge brand now yeah he is, um yeah. but yeah he brand he found a now. way to to uh 
you know, he worked in sports and pop culture and yeah. wrote in the way that you and I and our friends all spoke. Yeah, that's the key. He, right. he was spe- he found his voice and found his audience because it was just it was us in a, in a bar talking, mm-hmm. you know, and that just like uh, I, just like you do. I just I I don't, you know, the, there are. You, there are people that that can write funny, and when you read them, you hear them, and mm-hmm. you hear how it's funny. I don't personally. I don't enjoy reading comedy. Like mm-hmm. I enjoy reading Bill Simmons, and it's funny. I enjoy reading Mark Twain, and it's funny. So it's not like I don't do it. But um, it's uh, I don't know something something about comedy in person with the you know audible social like a comedy club. Mm-hmm. I can read people's comedy sets. Mm-hmm. I can read transcripts of television shows the next day, monologues, and I can hear them and they're still really funny. You know, I read Bill Maher more than I watch Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. But um uh you know, I, if I if given the choice, I'd rather I'd rather hear it. Yeah. And, and yeah. see it. Oh, it's funny. All, when I was a kid, other than my school books that you know were, were uh, required reading, all my books. You know, my mom said I was a really easy kid to raise in the terms that I didn't ask for a lot of toys. I didn't have action figures. I had Matchbox cars and joke books. That's all I wanted. <laughs> the Matchbox cars were like fifty cents back then, and joke books were cheap. And plus, I was reading. It didn't break. Didn't make noise. Didn't annoy my parents. And, but the problem was, I'd read these joke books. I didn't just have. I, I sat down and read them. And memorize them, and then of course, come dinner time. Mm-hmm. Hey, mom, what do you get when you? And it's like, what the hell did I do? And it'll take a road trip. I'd be in the back. I'd be quiet for the first half of the trip because I'm reading the joke book. Right. Then the trip back, and now I have to test these jokes out on my parents right. the whole time. You like, gotta work the a, room, really. So, you know, captive audience, we're driving a car. Where are you gonna go? You know, and just uh, you know, I remember going to drive to go get my grandparents, and it's a two and a half hour drive. When they were too old to drive, we'd have to go get them and bring them back. And you know, I'd walk out of the house with you know, out of the house with two or three joke books, and my dad be like, "Son of a bitch," you know. And then the whole way there, my mom and dad like, my mom's like, "Come on, he's being quiet in the back, not on the way back, not on the way. He's gotta work his jokes, <laughs> you gotta in. get those jokes, yeah. gotta test them." Well, that's awesome. So glad to. Uh, uh, get a little insight into what you two, uh, how, how you two approach being funny. Uh, you are two uh, of the most funniest people I know, but you approach it, and, and uh, the results are two different styles. Yep. You know, I've seen Lou kill in a biker bar in Corona. <laughs> That's right. Um, I forgot about you that killed one. a guy in a biker <laughs> bar in Corona. <laughs> we were about to be. That was when Lou and I walked in to do a set, and the the whole uh, the, everyone turned around like. It was like the scene in the Animal House. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we're in our Hollywood button-down shirts, like hi. And uh, the lady comes running around. Oh, you're the comics, right? And everyone just uh, and they turned around. I thought we, I thought we were gonna. These were. I mean, this yeah. was hardcore. Yeah. You know, someone was murdered at this place. <laughs> I mean, in Corona, which you know, which was in a nice yeah, area. Yeah, and yeah. all of a sudden, we got off. The, it was a dirt yeah, parking dirt lot. Dirt parking lot. Oh man. And uh, I had a good time. Uh, so yeah, so that and the the fact that you made them laugh it, it's a testament to your system, and uh, of course you keep making us laugh over in Schmoville oh, with your uh, Michael Beatrice. I hate scoops. reading comedy, but please read mine. Yes, yes. <laughs> your, his column honestly is better. Like I was Entertainment Weekly that uh, hit list or whatever, yeah. ten times better than anything that, and better Thanks. than any opening monologue in any of the late night talk Absolutely. shows. Absolutely, uh, Mike. Where can we find you on Twitter? At Michael Beatrice. Simple and to the point. I like it. And um, a commercial break again. Tell us where we can find that. Uh, I believe our Twitter handle is Commercial Break TV. Because okay. somebody had stolen Commercial Break before we got there. Oh, so uh, and then uh, you can catch it live on uh, the stream. The stream. TV. Thursday, uh, Saturday, excuse me. Not every Saturday. We, uh, but, you know, uh, but whenever, um, it, whenever yeah. it's out. And, okay. we, and certainly if you go to the stream.tv website, we've got them all full episodes and clips all up there ready to watch That's on your own time. Check. 
check that out. Uh, Michael Beatrice, uh, hosted by uh, Rebecca Michael. And, of course, Lou, uh, when, when's the next time uh, people can watch you ply your trade on yeah. stage? Actually, the next big show is uh, Saturday, November 9th. We're yep. doing Operation Gratitude. I'm, mm. I'm actually the host of mm-hmm. that and uh, one of the comedians, all headliners on this show. It's our ninth year. I'm also co-producer with Tom Conley, and it's a fundraiser for uh, a, an organization that sends individualized care packages to our men and women overseas in the Middle East. Come December, they're actually celebrating their one millionth package that they're sending. So uh, 25 in advance, 30 the day of the show. They're in North Hollywood. But for all the details, just go to lousantini.com. It's on my calendar, and it's 100% tax right That's right. It's a great show, too. Uh, This year we got – who we got on this Yeah, um, Mike knows some of these. We got Mm -hmm. uh, myself in no particular order here. Jen Murphy, Tom Conley, Kira Sultanovich, one of my all-time favorites, uh, PJ Walsh, and Bob Oshak. That's a great, great lineup. That is a fantastic lineup. It's a fun night and good cause. I'll be there as well. And uh, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, Mine is at lousantini.com, L-O-U-U-U, Santini. Not not, not, not .com. .com, You're still Lou. At Lou Santini with three U's. And then uh, just go to lousantini.com for my book and my album and all that other jazz. His his paragraph title long book. Uh, But it's good. (laughs) It uh, counts as a page. Get it on Kendall. Um, And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at now Ken Knapsack. No longer Cospan. I've switched. I've gone the Michael Beatrice route. Ken Knapsack, my name, is on Twitter. Uh, Find us on iTunes. Like, rate, review, subscribe. That's how you move up in the iTunes world. We're also available on Podomatic, uh, Stitcher, and Encore presentations. The Knapsack Files are broadcast every Thursday at 10 p.m. PST following the Snow podcast from 8 to 10. It's been a fun run there. We just had Norman Reedus and Rocking Dead on, and uh, it's been a fun run there, so enjoy that. And uh, until next time, for Michael Beatrice and Lou Santini, I'm Ken Knapsack. This has been the Knapsack Files. <laughs>